It has probably been a while since most of us have sent or received a postcard due to the COVID-19 restrictions across the world. Also, the increased use of smartphones has reduced the need to send wish you were here notes and the post when it is easier and cheaper to upload a photograph or message onto social media. Yet, as Delteologists, also known as postcard collectors, will tell you, postcards have an interesting history, which blossomed in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Many cards purchased as souvenirs in the past are now collector's items and have appeared in auctions since 1896. The earliest known postcard was received in 1840 in Fulham by the composer and writer Theodore Hook, 1788-1841. Known for his practical jokes, Hook likely sent the card to himself, either as an experiment or to poke fun at postal workers. The card, which bears a penny black stamp, features a hand-drawn caricature of postal clerks holding large pens. They are seated around an inkwell labeled official with the words Penny and Penates on either side. Penates, or de Penates, were household deities in ancient Roman religion responsible for guarding the storeroom. Hook's illustration suggests the post workers either looked after their pennies or the penny black stamps. In 2001, a collector discovered the Penny Penates postcard and the British Philatelic Association confirmed it is the oldest documented postcard in the world. It is also the oldest card sent with a penny black stamp which was only used between May 1840 and February 1841. In 2002, Penny Penates made history again, becoming the most ever paid-for postcard at auction, selling at £31,750 to a collector in Latvia. The first commercially produced postcard appeared in 1861 in the United States of America, although manufacturers saw no need to decorate one side of the card with an image. Instead, the card, patented by John P. Charlton of Philadelphia, was plain on both sides, one for the message and the other for the recipient's address. After selling the rights to Hyman Lippmann, 1817-93, the man credited for making the first pencil with an attached eraser, they added a border to the message side. In 1870, commercial postcards began selling in the United Kingdom. These were also blank on both sides but featured a printed stamp, which the post office included in the price of the card. Only the post office had permission to sell postcards, which they sold in two sizes. The larger of the two eventually fell out of use in favor of the smaller due to ease of handling. Eventually, the post office introduced a standard size of postcard at 5.5 by 3.5 inches. Other European countries adopted postcards slightly earlier than the United Kingdom, although the Prussian government worried about privacy issues. In 1869, the Austria-Hungary post office issued blank postcards, of which approximately 3 million were used in the first three months. When the Franco-Prussian War began in July 1870, soldiers saw the benefits of this inexpensive method of writing to people back home. Soon, post offices throughout Europe and further abroad agreed to the sale of postcards. In 1870, postcards began featuring a picture on one side with a small space to write a message. The reverse remained blank for the recipient's address. Historians continue to debate over the origins of this idea, with the majority agreeing the first picture postcard was created by a soldier at Camp Conley. Leon Bisnardo, 1829-1914, the alleged inventor, resided at the training camp during the Franco-Prussian War, where he developed a lithograph designed to print on postcards. This particular illustration featured two piles of military equipment topped by a scroll in the arms of the Duchy of Brittany. In French, the inscription reads, War of 1870. Camp Conley. Souvenir of the National Defense. Army of Brittany. Meanwhile, others argue the first picture postcard appeared in Germany three days before the outbreak of the Franco-Prussian War. August Schwartz, a bookseller from Oldenburg, is regarded as the illustrator of this card, which bears the postmark 16th of July 1870. 
Yet, neither of these cards resemble the souvenir postcards of today, the earliest of which appeared in Vienna in 1871. In the United Kingdom, the first picture postcards appear in 1894 at the beginning of the golden age of postcards, which lasted until 1914. The post office permitted other publishers to print the cards, which led to a rise in postcards of landscapes and scenic views. ETW Dennis and Sons of Scarborough were the first company to print postcards outside of the post office. Edward Thomas West Dennis, 1847-1923, a Quaker, saw a commercial gap in the market and began producing postcards for seaside resorts, which consumers purchased as mementos of their holidays or sent home to friends and family. Despite permitting others to print postcards, the post office provided strict rules about the design. Regulations stated the back must only contain the address, and publishers could print up to five words on the front as well as an image, as long as they left space for the sender to write a message. Society thought it unseemly to write personal messages where anyone could see, so the limited space prevented people from divulging too much information. Nonetheless, some people tried to get around this by writing along the edges of the illustration as well as in the space provided. When talking about postcards, the historian Steve Hillier likened them to the text message of their time. Due to the small message space, households often received several postcards from the same sender. This prompted the post office to reconsider its regulations. The outcome, released in 1902, was the divided back postcard, which allowed people to write a message on one half and the address on the other. On the front, the picture took up the entire space. With the rate of sending a postcard at half a penny, many continued to favor postcards over letters. Whilst today postcards are generally received from people on holiday, Early 20th century publishers produced cards for villages and towns across the United Kingdom. For example, in 1910, an inhabitant of the village of Upminster in Essex sent a postcard to a friend in France, asking them if they had recovered from their recent cold. The postcard contains a photograph of the Bell Inn, which dominated the crossroads at the centre of Upminster for 200 years before its demolition in 1963. During the First World War, postcards helped boost the morale of soldiers, but also remained an effective form of communication with friends and family in Britain. Some postcards contained lengthy updates, whereas others simply said, meet me off the train at 2pm tomorrow, or something equally mysterious. Whilst today we cannot guarantee next day delivery, even with a first-class stamp, postmen once delivered letters to houses twice a day, providing a near-instant method of communication. Whilst the war halted the production of seaside and holiday postcards, the industry saw a rise in military postcards. Some of these contained photographs of regiments or individual soldiers, which are now collectors' items. Publishers also printed humorous cards to keep people's spirits up, particularly those on the front lines or the injured. These postcards usually featured a cartoon rather than a photograph and saw a revival during the Second World War. After the end of the First World War, postcard production picked up once more, although it never achieved the popularity of the golden years. The price of postage increased to one penny in 1918, then one and a half pence in 1921. The latter caused public protest, so the price reverted to one penny the following year. The 1930s saw a rise in cartoon-style postcards, many of which were labeled body or saucy. These illustrations shocked those with strong British morals, but others thoroughly enjoyed the innuendos and double entendres. Cartoonists often poked fun at stereotypical characters, such as vicars, large women and unfortunate husbands. They also made inappropriate jokes about the private lives of the average person. Synonymous with the saucy postcard genre is the English graphic artist Donald McGill, 1875-1962, who eventually received a fine for breaking the Obscene Publications Act 1857. 
His career as a postcard designer began unintentionally in 1904 after drawing a humorous get-well card for a sick nephew. McGill's family encouraged him to produce more illustrations, and within a year, he had a full-time occupation. He started taking risks with the content of his drawings, noting the more vulgar they became, the better they sold. McGill earned the title King of the Seaside Postcard, but after the outbreak of the First World War, he produced anti-German propaganda postcards instead. His illustration style remained consistent, with bright colors and caricature figures, but the messages focused on bolstering British morale and insulting the enemy. As a child, McGill lost a foot after an accident playing rugby, so he could not physically fight. He saw his humorous postcards as his contribution to the war effort. Throughout the war, McGill designed approximately 1,500 postcards. His early war illustrations focused on the soldiers but later turned to the home front, wives, families, female munitions workers and the Red Cross. McGill often included puns in his work, for example, a soldier hanging up his laundry with the caption, a blow on the Hindenburg line. The Germans built the Hindenburg line or Siegfriedstellung from concrete, steel and barbed wire as a form of defense, which after several attacks, broke in September 1918. Whilst the majority of McGill's wartime postcards involved humor, he also produced sentimental cards featuring poems, which soldiers sent home to their sweethearts. Yet, linking all his postcards together is British patriotism, which inspired other artists and printers to produce similar illustrations. After the war, McGill began designing postcards for the International Art Company, formed by Robert and Louisa McCrum. For 17 years, McGill produced his usual standard of work, but as time went on, new rules and censorship issues put pressure on the artist. The company prevented McGill from drawing people with red noses or women with exaggerated cleavage, which he found ridiculous rules to follow. Eventually, McGill resigned and worked on a freelance basis for other companies. In retaliation to the censorship issues, McGill's outcomes became more saucy and shocking. The outbreak of World War II in 1939 put a halt to postcard production. With paper in short supply, McGill took a temporary job as a clerk for the Ministry of Labor, but he could not refrain from drawing for long. In 1944, McGill started drawing for D. Constance Limited, but the newly elected conservative government of the early 1950s grew concerned about McGill's immoral illustrations. Although McGill was not the government's only target, he was required to attend a trial in Lincoln on 15 July 1954. In his defense, McGill's lawyers claimed he had no intention of creating innuendos in his postcard designs, of which he produced over 12,000 during his career. They also claimed the double meanings needed pointing out to the artist after the production. The court did not believe these arguments and fined McGill £50 for breaking the 1857 Obscene Publications Act. Whilst this does not seem a large sum, McGill also lost his income source because no reputable company wished to print his postcard designs. Postcards of a similar nature to those by McGill also suffered from the government's intervention. They issued strict rules about taste and decency in art and literature and censored approximately 167,000 books. Many protested against this censorship and appealed for an amendment to the Obscene Publications Act. In 1957, McGill supplied evidence before the House Select Committee, saying he felt a national system of censorship would be open to the vagaries of individual interpretation. The appeal resulted in the Obscene Publications Act 1959, which allowed the printing of McGill's postcards and the publication of controversial books, such as Lady Chatterley's Lover by D. H. Lawrence, 1885-1930. The revival of saucy postcards inspired body films, such as the Carry On franchise, which ran from 1958 until 1978. McGill's illustrations regained popularity, and by his death in 1962, surpassed 200 million sales. 
Printers continued producing McGill's postcards until 1968 after phasing them out in favor of modern designs. Postcards never regained their post-war popularity but continued to be a cultural aspect of the British seaside. Color photography replaced illustrations, which allowed souvenir shops to sell depictions of resorts and towns, often in unrealistically sunny weather conditions. Photographers developed their careers in the postcard trade, for instance, John Hind, 1916-97, who found success in Ireland. In the 1960s and 70s, Hind teamed up with Billy Butlin, 1899-1980, the British entrepreneur, to produce postcards for the many Butlin holiday camps around Britain. Hind employed three men, Elmar Ludwig, Edmund Nagel, and David Noble, to help capture idealistic views of Butlin locations. Hind often enhanced some of the colors in his photographs to create the optimistic tone Butlin desired. He meticulously planned the snapshots to depict images of a fun-filled family vacation. Typical scenes included large swimming pools, amusement parks, recreational activities and indoor dining. Today, these overly bright postcards are considered kitsch by collectors and cost much more than the few pence butlins charged. Modern seaside postcards usually feature more than one high-quality photograph of the area. Developments in technology allowed photographers to capture realistic images of the resort without the need for enhancements. Postcards are available in most locations and countries, which thousands of tourists purchase to send home to their family and friends. Contemporary postcards have no value in collections, yet in the future, they may prove of some worth. In the smartphone age, holiday postcards are fast becoming something of the past, but printing companies are fighting to keep them fresh and alive. Many online companies allow people to personalize postcards to send on a variety of occasions. People can choose generic images or upload digital photographs and include text in a variety of typefaces. Is this the beginning of a new chapter in the history of postcards? Postcards from Donald McGill's era may have no relevance in today's world, but for deltiologists, they are worth hundreds of pounds. Some consider saucy postcards a form of art, and we can thank the artists for breaking censorship boundaries and allowing us to be more open and accepting of people's lives. While some people may dislike lewd comments and foul language used in television and literature, the amendment of the Obscene Publications Act has allowed people to discuss sexual health, mental health and other taboo subjects. So ends the brief history of postcards in the United Kingdom. Who knows what the future holds for this method of communication? Dash. My blogs are now available to listen to as podcasts on the following platforms, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Spotify. If you would like to support my blog, become a Patreon from pound5 slash m or buy me a coffee for three pounds. Thank you.